In your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 is what will be our reading this morning. If you're using the ESV Pew Bible, it's page 1014. 1014, I believe this is number 8 in the series uh, on Peter. A costly holiness today. I'll begin reading uh, from verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot, without blemish or spot. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. Um, Lord, for your goodness to us, Lord, for this word that you have given to us, and pray that, Lord God, all that, uh, all that is spoken uh, this morning, Lord God, will come from you, that, Lord, you would open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, to hear this word. May Jesus be glorified in it all, and may this church be edified. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, my intention was to try to treat, preach through uh, verses 14 through 20, but I only got as far as 14 and 15. So uh, <laughs> I tend to get bogged down in details many times, so here we are, verses 14 and 15. Uh, so just to, I'll read that again. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy and this is a reminder that peter is writing to churches that are in six provinces six roman provinces and mostly in central and north turkey at that time and they were undergoing some persecution the esv study bible and other sources say that the the persecutions at this time uh, were not, which was in the mid-60s, 64 or so A.D., were not likely official government um, persecutions, but would include things like insults. You know, uh, they would often be charged with atheism because they only believed in one God. So they called the Christians the atheists because they didn't believe in all the other gods. So it's kind of funny that they would use that term but um, anyway but you know oftentimes there would be slanderous accusations of wrongdoing social ostracism occasional mob violence local police action you know things like that which you know we you know we can see some of that happening even now today uh, in America of course in many other countries it's much worse than that now in the near future persecution would become official under Nero and severe and widespread persecution uh, would uh, 
uh, deal much violence to many of the Christians throughout the Roman Empire. So, nevertheless, they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement. So, imagine this: that you're, you know, you're going through, you're going through trials and stuff. You're wondering how it is that you're supposed to live because you've heard, you've heard Peter and maybe others preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, but they don't, they don't have the Bible. They have the Old Testament. So these epistles that are written by Peter and Paul and James and others are of vital importance uh, to the early church to be able to teach them and train them in righteousness and in holiness. So Peter has laid the foundation for a living hope in verses 3 through 12. Last time, two weeks ago, we kind of reviewed all those things. Building a foundation for us, encouraging the believers in their faith in Christ that is more precious than gold or silver. Peter likes to use those terms. He uses gold or gold and silver in this uh, epistle a couple of times. And if you remember when Peter and James were going to pray, as recorded in the book of Acts, when someone asked them for alms, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So Peter is acutely aware of where real treasure is, of where the real valuables are in this life. So the other thing we looked at two weeks ago was that those verses 3 through 12 is Peter laid a foundation there of uh, indicating and telling us many things about our privileges and about the provisions, about the glory of the gospel, about the hope that's been laid up for us. And then now he switches to the imperative to where he's saying now because of these things and upon this foundation this is how we're going to build this house this is how we're going to build our life in Christ and in verse 13 he says gird up the loins of your mind preparing your minds for action being sober-minded setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ he has them looking into the future they're enjoying some blessings now but really the ultimate blessing comes in the future they're looking for that grace that is fully uh, manifested to them at the revelation of jesus christ ed Clowney says that the certainty of our hope us having a certain hope has a remarkable effect on our lives if we truly have that hope he says hoping christians cannot and will not live carelessly seeking self-indulgence and pleasure. The, um, Charles Spurgeon speaks about the hope that he has. This quote from him, My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done and what he is now doing for us. So Peter, again, he tells us to gird up, get ready, get ready to do those things, to build up on those works that God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them and be obedient children. So the cost of obedience is the imperatives. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
Peter instructs the believers here as obedient children. That's what he calls them, obedient children. And he mentions that word obedience uh, three times uh, in this epistle. In verse 2, he says that they were called, they were set apart for obedience, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We are called for obedience to Jesus Christ. We don't, you know, we, we all know, we hear it often, but we have to remind ourselves often that we, we cannot work ourselves into God's approval. He gives us that approval. He calls us. He causes us to be born again to a hope. But he has called us to something. He has called us to obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. In verse 22, uh, he also says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for its sincere brotherly love. So there is that aspect of us looking at God's word, of hearing his word, and desiring to be obedient to it. And we know, we know that we're not perfectly obedient to it in this life. But that ought to be our goal. That ought to be our striving. So they're obedient children. They can rejoice, you know, as the Lord has called us. We are now members of the family of God. He's called us to obedience, but he's called us children. He has adopted us. He has made us his very own. He's made us his very own. In verse uh, in First John chapter 3, it says that we are now members of the family of God and we can rejoice as we behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And if we're to be called the sons of God, then we are to walk in obedience and love for our Lord. What a privilege. One I might say that we often forget about in the daily busyness of our lives. A few years ago, the Thursday morning men's breakfast book club studied J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And Dr. Pa- Dr. Packer put great emphasis on this, on adoption, on adoption. I'll quote him here. Our first point about adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers the highest privilege that the gospel offers think about that that God has given us his spirit whereby we can cry out Abba we can call him this holy God the one who's called us to be holy we can call him father in adoption God takes us into his family and into his fellowship he establishes us as his children and as his heirs as we talked about earlier in First Peter, about that inheritance that we're going to have that is undefiled, imperishable. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God, the judge, justification is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father, adoption is a greater. Why would we not want to obey him? Why would we not want to obey him? Uh, It is a struggle at times. Our obedience and holy conduct are based on love for God's graciousness to us in Jesus Christ. We ought not to be like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son who obeyed his father but obeyed him grudgingly, obeyed him with a wrong spirit, obeyed him out of legalism, They did not understand the gracious forgiveness 
that is available to us and was angry with his brother when he was forgiven. So we are God's people. We are God's children. We are sinful creatures. We are sinful creatures. But God has adopted us as his children and he provides for us, his children, in complete and unfailing love. So Peter goes on here. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And the, the Greek word that's used there for conformed is the same word that's used by Paul in Romans 12 too. I'll read verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's holiness. Holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are a living sacrifice, and Paul exhorts the believers in Rome. After many words of instruction, as we uh, talked about a couple of weeks ago in Romans, in the first 11 chapters, all of the foundation being laid you know, for our forgiveness, for the gospel truth, for God's graciousness that he gives to us. And now there's a call for us to come to right thinking and right action. Paul doesn't, he doesn't, uh, uh, it's not a soft request. He does appeal, but he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, here we are, holy, set apart, sanctified dedicated to him and in whatever sphere of life that we find ourselves our desires being to obey him and to walk with him we're not to walk in conformity with the world we're not to walk in conformity with the world he says do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but be conformed you know to god's life be conformed to god's truth we are not to pattern our actions in our life after the world. We're not to be in adherence with or observance of or obedience to or in respect for the things of the world, our former sins, our former ways, our former passions, even though they come back to haunt us and to tempt us and to try to trap us, you know, day by day. But rather, he says... To be holy. And 1 Peter 1 15 and 16 says. As he has called you as holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written. You shall be holy. For I am holy. I keep repeating that. Because it needs to sink down into our hearts. That he is a holy God. He is set apart from us. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 2 speaks of God and the Trinity and is naming the attributes of God. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being in perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. He is immutable. He is immense. He is eternal. He is incomprehensible. He is almighty. He is most wise and most holy. He is most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will 
for his own glory. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. This is our holy God. Revelation 15.4 As those in the heavenlies sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. One of the verses in that song, verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is holy. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is before the Lord, before his throne, one called to another as he saw the heavenly creatures saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and Isaiah's response is, woe is me, I am undone. I'm in the presence of the holy. And all he could see was his own unholiness, his own sin, his own impurity, his own imperfection in the presence of the perfect and the holy one. But that gracious God who is holy took the coals from the fire and touched his lips and purifies him. And then he sends Isaiah, he sends him out on his mission to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, to preach the holiness of God, but also the loving tenderness and patience of our God who calls us to repentance. Revelations 4, 8 says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God alone is eternal, and he is alone in his unchangeable holiness. A.W. Pink states, he is the Holy One. He is so because the sum of all moral excellency is found in him. He is absolute purity, unsullied by the shadow of sin. We can't we really can't imagine that. We can't imagine that in our own sinful states. But we can wonder at it. We can praise God. We can give him the glory. We can worship him because that's how he reveals himself to us. Dr. D.A. Carson states these words, Be holy for I am holy. He is not telling us to be God. He is telling us to be so much bound up with God. To be so much bound up with God to be so much reserved and set apart and dedicated to him, so much connected with all the things that brings honor and praise to our God. That's what should characterize our life. So much in line with all that he is in his character and being what we are rightly said to be, holy. He just called us to be holy. Only God has perfect holiness. But he calls us to be set apart, to be sanctified, 
in the Old Testament, you know, the vessels of the temple and the sacrifices were all holy. They were set apart to holy use. They were dedicated to God. And so in that sense, we are called to be holy, to be dedicated to him, to be looking to God in everything that we do. When we wake up in the morning and brush our teeth and we go to bed at night and brush our teeth and everything in between, our mind and our thoughts, our desires, our prayers throughout the day, you know, may it be that we would be seeking the Lord. And, you know, we, we, we often forget. We often forget. But that's the importance of those times, those dedicated times to be in the word, to be reminded. You know, our God is a holy God. In the presence of the Lord, you can read multiple tales about Moses, about Gideon, about John the Apostle and others who, when they know that they are in the presence of God, they fall down to the ground they can't help it they can't do anything else but fall before his holiness and hide their face to the ground before him but he is gracious and he lifts us up so peter said that we are to be holy in all our conduct in all our conduct the greek word is anastrophe and the word is used 13 times in the new testament and eight of those 13 times or in First and Second Peter. So Peter's really concerned about how we conduct our lives in Christ. So uh, the purpose of his letter, again, was to encourage them, to teach them, to, to uh, help support them, provide that foundation for them, and encourage them to continue to build up most holy lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. So holiness... Uh, that is an attribute. It is what we call a communicable attribute. There, God has attributes like omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence that are non-communicable. Where did we learn about that recently? Our catechism <laughs> on Wednesday night when we were talking about the, uh, the uh, attributes of God. We talked about those communicable things and holiness along with love and other things that are amongst God's attributes are communicated to us. There are things that we share to an extent with him. And so he is doing his work in us. There is the expectation that we are set apart, that we are sanctified, that we are growing in grace, and Christ is being formed in us. We are to be set apart. We are to be set apart from that unholy trinity of sin that first manifested itself in the garden with Eve and with Adam. And 1 John 2, 6 described it as this, that which is in the world, that which Eve suffered temptation for was the desires of the flesh. It was good to eat, the desires of the eyes, it was pretty. In the pride of life, you'll be like God. Those, those three categories sum up a lot of the unholiness that's in our life. Those things, those things are not from the Father, John says, but they are from the world. So we ask, how do we conduct ourselves in holiness? With God's holiness, there is a transcendence. There is, you know, there is a glory. You know, when we see uh, Moses at the burning bush, we see Isaiah, you know, seeing the temple being filled with God's glory. We see the book of revelation with the temple and heavens being filled with god's glory and and numerous beasts innumerable beasts and 
and uh, saints and stuff crying out to the Lord, holy, 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 and worshiping him. There is a transcendence to that. Our holiness is something that is done in us and through us by God, his working of holiness, our dedication. So what does it conduct, what does it consist of? What does it consist of? We must begin with the only sure foundation, and that is the work of Christ. Again, it is his work. It is his death upon the cross. It is the shedding of his blood. It is through him only that we can come to be saved, that we can come to be saved from the wrath to come, that God has called us to be his. And in 1 Peter 1.3, he says that we are born again to a living hope, that completely steadfast foundation of hope in God's promises. And we say, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to that, to that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians 2.10 says that what, what is happening? What is God doing in us? We are born again to a living hope. The resurrection of Christ is working in us. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul, Paul has just written that, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on a little bit later to say, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's part of our holiness for the works that God has called us to do. That's our holiness. That's our being separated to God. That's our being discovering and digging through his word and finding out those things that he has prepared for us beforehand. There's no, there's no big mystery about it. It's just dedicating yourself to the Lord and saying, you know, here I am, Lord, here I am. Philippians 2, 12, and 13, a very familiar verse to all of you. Paul writes to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, there's that word again, as Peter is using, walking obedience, so now, not only in my presence, but much more when I'm gone, when I'm not there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's holiness. That's holiness. That's looking for God's will. That's looking in his word. So where are we called to live out our Christian holiness? Again, it's not, it's not getting in, in some closet or some place that you've built with an altar where you can dedicate yourself and, and, uh, and sing mantras or, or uh, get a, a spiritual feeling. I mean, there are, God does call us to be alone with him. And I think there are things, I know that there are things that when we're in prayer with him, things that our mind cannot conceive of, God reveals them to us. And at times those things are mysterious and they're beautiful and they're wonderful. You know, he shows us, he gives us a glimpse of his glory through his word as he speaks to us. But really, where do we live out our Christian holiness? You know, the, the epistles are replete with instructions about our conduct and you know, how we're to live and how, how we're not to live and how to change in Christ Jesus. So we cannot do it in our own strength. We have to be born again, and we have to be, as Galatians 5 says, we have to walk by the Spirit. Now, we have the Spirit. If we are in Christ Jesus, we have the Spirit, and the Spirit uses the Word. That's why it's important for us to be in the Word. The Spirit 
Jesus promised in the Gospel of John. He said the Spirit's going to come and he's going to reveal, he's going to open up to your understanding all the things that I've spoken to you. And God has spoken to us through the rest of the Scripture that came after that. So that's what the Holy Spirit works with. That's what the Holy Spirit works with, is God's Word. And Paul charges the Galatians. He says, walk by the Spirit and, uh, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh is against the spirit. These are opposed to each other. Be led by the spirit. You're not under the law. And he says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul there mixes a whole bunch of sins together and some of them some of them are in the list of what Jerry Bridges put together in his book called Respectable Sins. Those are the sins that we can hide, you know, that we, we're sly about it and we can get away with it, we think, uh, you know, without everybody seeing us. But Paul puts all those sins together with a, along with the sins of debauchery, the drunkenness, the orgies, and things like that. And then he tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit, the way we grow in holiness, is walking by the Spirit and the Word of God. The fruit of the Spirit is that love, and that joy, that peace, that patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is Walking in holiness. That is walking in holiness. It says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Colossians 3.8 has also uh, a list of sins. I'm not going to read those. But in, in uh, 3.12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. They are Paul calls the believers at Colossae, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So there it is again. We're to bear with one another, we're to forgive one another, and we're to put on love. The Holy Spirit works in us by the word, Again, John 16, 8 was where Jesus said when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Be in the word, be in prayer. When you know and sense that you're grieving the Holy Spirit, repent quickly. Come to the Lord, repent right then and there and ask God to wash you and he will. He promises that. You can pray prayers like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is the way of holiness. So finally, we kind of come back around to what is the cost of of this holiness? What is the cost of this 
discipleship. And I won't read the entire passages, but in uh, Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew 16, Jesus says some astounding things. He says a, a whole bunch of people were following him. He turned and he said to them, all right, you like what I'm doing? You like all the miracles? You like all the fun and excitement? And he says, here's the truth. Here's, here's where I want you. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, on that day when the Romans were crucifying someone, they would take the, the guilty person or the person who was charged and who was being put to death, and they would have to carry that beam on their back, which was heavy, oftentimes after already having been flogged, just as our Lord Jesus Christ was. And they're carrying that cross knowing that it leads to their certain death. There's no, no other option anymore. But Jesus says we're to take up the cross knowing that it leads to us dying to self. So that's something that happens to us in sanctification. It's a work that's day by day in us. It's a work that God gives us the grace to do. Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, he says, you need to count the cost. You know, this is whether you have enough to complete. If you're going to build a building, you need to count the cost of your materials before you get halfway through it and you run out of money. He said, you need to count the cost on them. Or he, you know, has uh, the other picture of a king going to battle one against the other. If he's only got 10,000 against 20,000, then he needs to count the cost as to whether he should ask for terms of peace or whether he's going to go in. And we also are to be salt. So, brothers and sisters, we are to be the salt of the earth. Salt is good, but if it's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no use, either for the soil or the manure pile. It, has, it is thrown away. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How can we do this? How can we walk like this day to day? Jesus is with us each and every day. We call upon him in faith. We confess our sins. We don't take that lightly, but we confess our sins, and he is, you know, perfectly forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We remember the promises of God. We remember the costly price our Savior paid. We remember his sweet provision for us and his love towards us. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador. You know, back in the 50s, I think it was, uh, when he and several men were, were killed by the indigenous peoples there as they were seeking to proclaim the gospel to them. But in his earlier writings, Jim Elliott has a quote that many people have, are familiar with, but it's good to remind ourselves of it this day. He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool when he was counting the cost, you know, for what he was being called to. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There is a cost, but whatever it is, we gain the pearl of great price. We hear the words of the Father, well done, good and faithful servant. We obtain and we gain that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Amen. The uh, musicians can come up. We'll sing our final.